Greetings, everybody. This is Dr. Adam Rindy, and welcome to the next episode of the One Thing Podcast. Today's guest is Dr. Lucy Melling, who has her PhD in nutritional sciences from the University of Illinois. She's also in their MD program, pursuing the clinician researcher route. She has a special interest and focus in the gut-skin access, and also in utilizing the autoimmune paleo diet to help address chronic inflammatory conditions. In today's episode, we are gonna go into the gut-skin access and how the gut influences skin disorders such as acne, rosacea, psoriasis, and eczema. It's a very interesting episode that we talk about how potentially the, the gut is causing skin inflammation and what we may do to help manage skin conditions through gut balance and other interventions. Hope you enjoyed the episode, and thanks again for tuning in. We'll jump right into the episode with Dr. Mailing. Okay, so I'm here today with Dr. Mailing, um, and she's gonna speak to us today about the gut skin access, and we're gonna kinda jump in and welcome you to the show. So welcome very much, Lucy, for being here today. Thanks so much for having me on. You're welcome. Um, very excited to speak about the gut skin access. And this is a topic that I know you've dove in deeply into. And I'm curious if you could just share with us uh, briefly about how your interest in the gut skin access came about. Yeah, so it was really what led me down a much healthier path in life. So I grew up uh, with severe eczema for most of my childhood, and it really wasn't until I was about 19 or 20 um, in undergraduate that I came across some information about the connections between gut health and our diets and skin health, and really started to take a deep dive into that. Um, and the more I learned and the more I experimented with my diet, the better um, my skin started to get. And it wasn't really until I, you know, started diving into the literature and, and really focusing on that that I saw improvements in my own skin health. And that's what inspired me to also help others um, in this realm and, and, and to do um, research in this area as well. Mm -hmm. So what have you learned so far? So really, you know, it was learning you know, there's not a lot about the gut skin access in the literature. It's a, it's growing, but it's a lot of right now. It's a lot of smaller, you know, lower impact journals. Um, we're starting to see the gut skin access pop up, um, and and more and more people are looking at how skin conditions are associated with an altered gut microbiome or or gut dysbiosis. So there's definitely these these connections that are there. And yes, I definitely saw it empirically in my own self. You know, it seems that, of course, you know, changing my diet was really having an impact on my skin. And of course, what mediates that connection is our, our gut microbiota and our gut immune system um, mm -hmm. kind of mediates that interface. Obviously, there's um, definitely connections between uh, the, you know, the nutrients we eat are, are, you know, making up our skin as well. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of connections in terms of, you know, the gut microbiota and the immune system are really mediating that interface. Mm -hmm. um, Let's talk about that interface. So is the interface um, at the gut barrier that is sort of where we would begin this discussion or is it elsewhere? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, there's definitely 
layers of, of above, you know, the gut barrier. So for example, having adequate stomach acid is really important for shaping the composition of the gut microbiota and having low stomach acid is something that is seen commonly in, in skin conditions. Um, but certainly the gut barrier is kind of that key, you know, interface that seems to be disrupted in almost all skin conditions seem to be associated with uh, permeability of that gut barrier. And, uh, you know, it's really only a single layer of epithelial cells that separate the contents of your gut with your bloodstream, your immune system. Um, so maintaining that gut barrier is really, really important to maintaining health. And uh, essentially what happens is what we're seeing is with skin conditions, that gut barrier breaks down and we're getting an influx of dietary antigens. So, you know, uh, large essentially large food proteins getting across the barrier, activating the immune system, um, and, and also potentially uh, bacterial toxins getting into the bloodstream as well and activating uh, not only the gut immune system, but systemic immunity as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it, you know, it's, I think people intuitively know or have seen um, Going, going to a dermatologist for a condition like rosacea or acne and be given an antibiotic and told something like doxycycline. Mm -hmm. Well, do you know this is likely to help your skin? And it, in a lot of cases, it does. And so, and so it leads to the next question, are we, are we treating dysbiosis? And the after effect of that is that um, the skin is improving because of it. It's always sort of a question we have these days. Or is it right? Yeah, antibiotics is it antibiotic actually targeting something on the in the skin organ? Yeah, that's certainly possible. I think I think when you're talking about something like doxycycline, you know, you're talking about quite a large hit to to the gut ecosystem. And uh, I do think that you know a lot of people do see acute benefits from taking antibiotics. And this is true of gut symptoms as well. You know, you see a lot of benefits um, for people, you know, who have SIBO type symptoms often mm -hmm. go along with rosacea as well. And you see when they take oral antibiotics, it does seem to get better, both the GI symptoms and the skin for a time period. But almost always there seems to be a relapse. Mm -hmm. And that's really because it's not addressing the underlying causes. And actually taking antibiotics may be, you know, further exacerbating the problem, even though it does provide symptom relief in the short term. Mm -hmm. It may stress the gut epithelium and, and also reduce the diversity of the small intestinal microbiome over the long term. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, you know, so we, we're learning a lot that the skin has, well, pretty much the whole body has its own unique subsets of microbiome, right? These days we're... Mm -hmm. It's not just the gut, the skin, the lungs um, have a microbiome. So given the assumption that the skin has its own set of uh, subset of micro of microbiome, can we just walk through um, sort of the steps? So let's say there's a breach in the intestinal barrier and food antigens are obviously coming into the diet. It could be just your everyday normal healthy foods um, that you wouldn't think twice could be harming us. Mm -hmm. so there's this breach in the intestinal barrier 
and then potentially there's um, cell wall debris or inflammation from the gut microbiome breaching this intestinal barrier like you alluded to. And then, so now let's say the breach has been made. Can, can you just draw the connection between at that moment, how the skin may become inflamed? Um, is it through certain channels like lymphatics? Is it, I, I've just always been curious like what the mechanism is exactly if we know at this point, maybe we just don't know. Yeah, so there's there's a number of potential mechanisms, and it's it's really interesting because it may be a combination of all of them. Um, there was there was a 2011 study that found that when you have those activated gut immune cells, they can actually be reprogrammed and migrate to the skin if you have some kind of exposure on the skin that's similar to the exposure that occurred in the gut. Um, so they're definitely, you know, at least in, this has been shown in animal studies that they've, they've shown that, um, then that can el elicit an allergic immune response in the skin that shortens your skin lipids and reduces your skin barrier function. Um, and then from there you get more exposure, you know, from antigens from the environment on your skin, um, and, and a, a larger, it's actually exacerbated skin immune response. Um, there's also, you know, the skin also on the, basically the underside of your skin, you know, the part that faces your circulation on the, on the underside, um, also has receptors. Um, there's uh, TLR4 is a very common one that some people might have heard of that binds to a compound called lipopolysaccharide, and that is endotoxin, mm. um, which, which is primarily derived from the gut, um, almost exclusively. Um, unless you have a leaky skin barrier, then you may also get some leaking in from um, from the skin as well. But essentially, you can have if you have a leaky gut and you're getting this LPS from the gut um, translocating into the bloodstream, it can then activate those receptors on the skin and um, and produce a skin immune response. Amazing. Uh, so, okay, well that definitely draws a, a connection. And so the Western medicine model of taking something like a biologic for a condition as serious as, you know, really um, severe psoriasis is working along that mechanism as well, it sounds like, um, as far as immune mod modulation. Yes, definitely. Um, definitely, if it's, if it's taken orally, it, it is working along that mechanism. Um, you know, it's also possible that you know, there does also seem to be skin to gut uh, communication as well. So there was a really interesting study that where they um, found that if they induced chemically induced psoriasis in mice, they actually uh, found altered immunity and gut microbiota composition in the gut. Hmm. So there is bidirectional communication as well. Um, it's not just gut to skin; it's also skin to gut. So it's it's also important to be sure that we are addressing the skin barrier as well, because uh, a le leaky skin ongoing can also potentially hmm. uh, contribute to impaired immunity in the gut. That's a great point. Um, it's bi bi-directional relationship between the gut and other organs um, pop up like gut brain and mm -hmm. gut endocrine. And you know, it's, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. Um, that, you know, you could influence 
the digestive health by having a barrier breach in your skin. That's yeah. fascinating. Um, the skin is the largest organ in the body, is that correct? Mm-hmm, yep. So, and people don't realize that it's actually considered a separate organ. And um, you know, people who haven't gone through like medical school might not even think of it that way, but. Right. So. Right, yeah. And yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna also mention that um, you know a lot of a lot of food sensitivities can also start in the skin. A lot of people don't realize that, um, but that's another example of that bidirectional communication is that when we're exposed to food antigens via our skin, especially when we're young, um, before we're exposed through the oral route, essentially what you have is your you have um, these cells in the skin called Langerhans cells. And they're especially good at sensitizing the immune system. So if you're exposed to, for example, peanut dust in the house, before, you know, through your skin, through a leaky skin barrier, then you can have sensitization. Um, and, and that can in turn lead to a food allergy when you're later exposed through the gut because you've already been sensitized through the skin. And there's actually a really close association between, for example, eczema and peanut allergies. Um, and other food allergies as well. So that's another really interesting bi-directional um, pathway there, yeah. Well, that, that is fascinating because, you know, those early moments of life when you're, you're kind of rebooting or actually just establishing your, your flora and that skin-to-skin -skin contact is one of the main ways, you know, like being connected to your mother or your father or caregivers. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure has a big influence of the diversity of the microbiome in those early moments. And yeah, definitely. I think it's you know one of the things I'm seeing recommended a lot more these days is that actual skin contact with a newborn. It's, it's good that mm -hmm. we're seeing that 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 plays such a role in the immune system. Um, well, so so this situation. You know, as a researcher, when you think about this, I mean, obviously, from a pharmaceutical standpoint, you know, the mind can kind of start, start thinking of all these different ideas of the way to address this problem. And a lot of them seem to be out there, you know, but, you know, you're and what's overlooked is the, the gut and the microbiome. And maybe it's thought about, but you're actually really doing things and thinking deeply about what we can do from a standpoint of maybe addressing that LPS signaling, signaling it sounds like, um, and also um, addressing how to reduce the amount of dietary antigens that might be triggering this inflammation. Can you go into some of these like applications that you've seen to, to per perhaps decrease some of that inflammation driver that you're talking about? Yeah, uh, certainly. So. I mean, really, it's coming back to maintaining the gut barrier and, and trying to strengthen the gut barrier. And, you know, we can certainly talk about different supplements and, you know, things that people are very interested in that they can just take and, you know, seal that up. But it really, I, I always stress that it really starts with the major pillars of health that, mm -hmm. you know, we all talk about in, in integrative medicine, which is, you know, getting, getting the diet um, healthy diet, exercise, sleep, and stress management is really key to 
maintaining that gut barrier. Beyond that, there's definitely some extra things that can be helpful for support. Um, so for example, glutamine can be really helpful for um, repairing the, the small intestine and uh, butyrate for uh, the large intestine. Those are kind of the primary fuels that are used by those gut epithelial cells to turn over, proliferate, and maintain that seal. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, those are also things that we get from our diet. So, um, so really it, it comes back to um, trying to, trying to heal and seal up that gut barrier. Um, for a lot of people, you know, uh, getting rid of inflammatory foods in the diet will be enough to, mm -hmm. um, to improve their, their skin condition. So um, a lot of the, you know, for a lot of people, grains, legumes, dairy can be really inflammatory to the gut. Um, and those are kind of represent some of the most common food sensitivities as well. Um, I often also find that some, for some people taking it a step further and going to um, something like the autoimmune protocol diet can be really beneficial for a short period of time to identify different food sensitivities. Because um, essentially, once you have that gut activation of the immune system um, to these various foods, you kind of have to get the foods out that are causing the most inflammation for a short period of time so that you can kind of bring down inflammation, um, really get the gut to a place where it can and repair. And then you can kind of often reintroduce those and you won't have the same sensitivity to them mm -hmm. um, after the gut barrier is repaired. And there's not that same uh, um, ability for the immune system to directly interface with, um, with the food antigens that are coming in. So um, we're actually working on a uh, study right now um, the, uh, to look at the effects of the autoimmune protocol in eczema psoriasis, and we'll also be looking at the gut microbiome and gut barrier function and how that changes with the, with the intervention. So that's kind of a, uh, it's a comprehensive diet and lifestyle intervention, but it's focused on the autoimmune protocol. Um, okay. So that's kind of my, my first general approach is to um, really look at the diet and and lifestyle components and and make sure those are um, those are sorted out because that's gonna be the that's gonna be the biggest thing that moves the needle um, in terms of you know we can look at all these nitty gritty pathways and try and find some place to intervene but you know it really starts with those pillars of health and then you know for for those people who have those in place and are still experiencing symptoms then we can certainly try and you know go go to a more reductionist approach and, and find things that might specifically target some of these pathways. Okay. So basically like the common skin conditions, such as rosacea, acne, eczema, psoriasis, this is where you would start um, for all of the above conditions. So sort of just looking at the gut barrier, looking at inflammation drivers in the diet and in the microbiome, that's kind of like your pillars. Yeah, definitely the pillars that seem to be common across skin conditions. Um, there do seem to be some, you know, there's definitely nuances for the different skin conditions. For example, um, with acne, um, a high glycemic index diet really seems to contribute to acne. So I'd also focus on blood sugar regulation with acne. Um, and, and dairy intolerance seems to be really big um, mm -hmm. for acne. Hormones can also play a role there, so I might also look into there, but um, in terms of the gut-skin axis in acne, it's really looking at the glycemic load, um, dairy proteins in particular. Um, 
rosacea is kind of a more of a mixed bag. Usually we do see, um, you know, for a long time it was thought that rosacea is closely associated with SIBO. Now our whole concept of SIBO is really changing um, in, the, in the last few years. And, you know, a lot of those studies were based on culture, meaning that we kind of need to re-evolve our our thinking around SIBO, and um, I'm hopeful that we'll see more studies that are looking at the small intestinal microbiome and things like rosacea and acne that were originally tied to SIBO, but now, you know, it may just be more small intestinal dysbiosis or, um, or potentially, you know, maybe carbohydrate malabsorption in the small intestine that are contributing most of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when we're thinking about um, eczema and psoriasis, it seems to be more of almost like an allergic inflammatory um, phenotype. And in that case, um, food sensitivities are really big. Um, Histamine can be particularly um, implicated in those. So histamine is a um, important immune signaling molecule, uh, but often tends to um, be particularly high in folks who have eczema and psoriasis. And um, a lot of that is derived from excess histamine production in the gut from mm-hmm. um from an you know kind of a dysbiotic gut community um producing mm-hmm. too much histamine um and then of course stress is is huge especially in um honestly in all skin conditions um you know that kind of gets back to you know there's bi-directional communication between the gut and the skin and the gut and the brain but there's also you know this gut brain skin pathway um where whereby you know stress is mediating um, changes in the gut and that's affecting the skin. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I want to talk a little bit more about that um, in a bit because I also want to just mention that having a skin condition is an extremely emotional um, uh, quest as far as there's there's a lot of emotional um, health um, issues that can arise from having a skin condition as far as anxiety, depression, and and just having stress over um, skin eruptions and social appearances. And um, so that's- Absolutely. A, I, wanna, I wanna get your thoughts on that in a little bit, um, if we can. So, okay, so we um, sort of, at this point, I, I'd love to hear your assessment tools because you know, it, back in the day, you know, we would just sort of assume maybe this is going on and we would just start by treating the gut and, you know, potentially supporting the body. But now we have new tools to help us with making uh, more precise recommendations or, or tracking our progress. What, what's your take on some of the tools and which ones do you like to use when, when addressing this, this problem? Yeah, so I, I really do like to do um, comprehensive stool testing is, is probably the, the major one that I um, like to look for in terms of um, gut or skin conditions. Um, I, I was using GI map. I'm currently reevaluating new options that are using metagenomics because I mm-hmm. think the field is moving this way. Um, and the, the metagenomics has the potential to be much more accurate um, and is coming down in cost significantly. So um, that's essentially where they basically grind up all the DNA in the fecal sample um, and are sequencing everything. Um, so they're getting down not only to um, the genus level, which is what a lot of other tests are doing, but they're getting down to the species and the strain level. Um, They can also look at yeast, parasites, um, uh, archaea with a a great degree of accuracy. So 
um, currently reevaluating new options, um, especially in the wake of some changes with, with some of the stool testing companies. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll have more to announce in that regard soon. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I'm moving towards. Um, and I do find that useful because, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, they have all the diet lifestyle in place. They're still really struggling with their skin condition. And uh, in that case, calculates of stool testing can sometimes identify things like parasitic infection, uh, yeast infection, um, or just, you know, severe bacterial imbalances that are potentially contributing to their skin condition. And treating those can be really important to restoring gut health and skin health. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so that's kind of the major one. And then uh, I also um, like organic acids testing as hmm. well, um, since this can uh, essentially give us a window a little bit more into the small intestine potentially, because uh, this is essentially looking at what gut bacterial products get uh, across the gut barrier and into the urine. Um, right. And so we can, we can sometimes see some overgrowth that we wouldn't see with stool testing because the small intestinal microbiome is way different than, uh, you know, the a fecal sample. So, um, so that's also sometimes helpful to look for yeast overgrowth or clostridial overgrowth. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't hear you mention anything like um, leaky gut testing, such as uh, lactose mannitol or zonulin tests. What is it? Are you using any of those as well? Yeah, so the, the lactulose mannitol test, uh, I think, is, is great. It's the gold standard for assessing intestinal permeability. And I do use it uh, in my research studies quite mm -hmm. a bit, um, where we're trying to show that an intervention uh, does improve, uh, you know, the gut barrier function. In an individual um, that I'm working with as a client, I don't necessarily find it useful because it doesn't tell us why the gut is leaky or... Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really give us any actionable information other than telling you your gut's leaky, which is likely when, you know, when you, when you have someone come in and they have a skin condition, mm -hmm. it's almost guaranteed that they have some degree of intestinal permeability. Mm -hmm. So having a number to it, you know, unless it's going to motivate that patient more, you know, unless it's going to motivate that person or, you know, you really want to track the ability of a certain intervention to, to heal up the skin, or mm -hmm. sorry, heal up the, the gut barrier. I just, I don't find it useful, especially when, you know, a, a lot of times for functional tests like this, where, you know, it's already coming out of the, the client or patient's pocket. So, sure. um, so I kind of prioritize the comprehensive stool testing, organic acids testing, and, uh, you know, like a full blood panel. Mm -hmm. um, before anything like the intestinal permeability testing, even though I think it's very useful in, in the research setting. Yeah. Um, as for zonulin, I've seen a, a, quite a few studies that call into question whether it's, it's clinically useful. Um, yeah. So there's, there's definitely a lot of fluctuation in zonulin levels even throughout the day that's mm -hmm. been shown. Um, so it, some question as to whether measuring zonulin antibodies is more stable and a more clinically accurate picture of what's going on. Um, so I, I am not typically a fan of zonulin just because there seems to be a lot of variability. Um, yeah. Certainly, you know, if you got a zonulin result and it was off the charts, that's probably indicating that there's, mm -hmm. you know, an issue going on there. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't, it seems to be too variable to use it to, to track anything useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That makes sense. And then um, since you're, we'll get into the AIP just a little bit more, but um, if someone, uh, you know, sort of is in the food intolerance camp, are you doing anything with food sensitivity testing? Are you more doing that through um, elimination diet kind of approaches? Yeah, uh, great question. Mm -hmm. So the, the elimination diet is definitely the gold standard mm -hmm. for determining food sensitivities. So that is typically what I recommend. Mm -hmm. If someone is unwilling to do an elimination diet, then I might consider food sensitivity testing. Uh, but I always kind of take the results with a grain of salt. So it, you know, it might identify particular things that you could, you know, think more or be more aware when you eat those foods, you know, am I potentially being triggered by this? But then you have the whole placebo effect with food intolerances as well. So, um, so it's a little bit difficult to know. I don't, I don't generally, uh, start with food sensitivity testing. Mm -hmm. Um, I usually go with the elimination diet. Um, over that if, if possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And your elimination diet is more along the lines of what just basically implementing like an AIP um, autoimmune paleo protocol, or do you do like a structured elimination diet with more groups than the AIP? No, I typically, so typically I would have someone start with a paleo template diet first, mm -hmm. you know, cause often a lot of people can see, you know, especially if they're starting from the standard American diet, often just switching to, you know, a nutrient dense paleo type diet can be enough to, um, uh, to, uh, reduce skin conditions. If that's not enough and, and it seems like food sensitivities are, are likely, then I would probably do a, an autoimmune protocol, mm -hmm. um, type diet. I've seen that to be most useful um, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of resources around it as well, which makes it, um, a little bit easier to implement. And also personally, uh, you know, I tried many, many different diets with, for my eczema and I found the autoimmune protocol to be extremely helpful, um, mm -hmm. for me personally. And so I also have, you know, my personal experience with it that helps me to, to mm -hmm. aid clients through it. Um, and then of course we're, um, we're doing this study with it, and, and for the study, I've teamed up with Angie Alt, who runs Autoimmune Wellness. Um, she's got a lot of experience with AIP and even um, has, has put a lot of folks with eczema and psoriasis um, through it and seen a lot of benefits for it herself. Mm -hmm. And so now we're trying to show that with peer-reviewed research. Um, so there's certainly other elimination diets that could be helpful, um, but yeah. I found that the autoimmune protocol seems to, seems to work well for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's talk about what the autoimmune paleo diet is and also how it works and why it works. Yeah, so it's essentially, um, so it removes, like paleo, it removes dairy, legumes, um, refined sugar, grains, um, but it also removes eggs, uh, nuts and seeds, nightshade vegetables, um, caffeine, alcohol. Um, I think, I think I got everything there. Um, so it removes some other foods that are potentially inflammatory mm -hmm. to someone who has severe gut inflammation. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it's not intended to eliminate all of those things forever. Um, it's essentially kind of to give you a clean slate, allow your gut to heal a little bit, allow your skin to, to respond to that healing 
Um, and then you essentially systematically reintroduce foods um, to, to, to assess your response to them. Once you kind of have that clean slate, you're much more able to assess your response to each of these food groups uh, individually. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and I imagine that time frame is different for everybody. You know, it's like, it's flexible as far as how, how you move along that continuum. Yes, definitely. So some people, some people just do about six to eight weeks on the autoimmune protocol, sometimes 10 to 12, and then proceed to reintroduction. Uh, other people are finding that they're, you know, they really get symptom relief on the full AIP protocol and end up mm -hmm. staying on it for a longer time. So actually, uh, myself, I ended up on the full autoimmune protocol for about seven months before I started um, intervention, but I was starting from a place where I had about 80% of my body was flared with eczema when I started the autoimmune mm. protocol. So, um, so if, if that wasn't the case, maybe, maybe I would have been on it for a, a shorter period of time. And I typically see people don't need to be on it for that long. Mm -hmm. um, before they can start reintroductions, at least of some of the foods. You might, you know, through that process, you might find that eggs are a particularly bad trigger for you. And so you might say, I'm not going to eat eggs for the time being, but I'm going to reintroduce other foods. Mm -hmm. So it really helps you to diversify your diet as much as possible. Um, it's not intended to be restrictive for a long period of time. It's, it's intended to have you go through this reintroduction process so you can assess your response and and diversify the diet as much as possible while mm -hmm. still managing your symptoms. Yeah. And so your study is going to be looking at the microbiome changes that take place along while, while someone's on this plan. Yes, exactly. So we've got a baseline, essentially what their microbiota was at the beginning. And we'll also see um, how it's changed at the end. And we're also doing that lactulose mannitol test before and after to see how gut barrier function resolves in oh, addition great. to looking at symptoms and compliance and all, all that kind of stuff. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's, uh, and I haven't heard you mention anything like interventions with antimicrobials or plant-based, you know, prebiotics or anything like along the lines, you're kind of keeping it pure with diet um, or are you doing other interventions? Yeah, so for this study, um, it is comprehensive diet and lifestyle, but we're not, um, introducing any supplements to, yeah. um, to the protocol. So it's, it is, it does, uh, you know, have some lifestyle components, helping them with sleep, stress management, um, exercise, uh, these kind of things. Um, the, the diet is really core to the protocol. Yeah. Um, but we do kind of emphasize a different lifestyle factor each week. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's great potential to, um, layering on some of these other things, so potentially herbal antimicrobials, prebiotics, uh, you know, supplemental uh, like oral probiotics um, to the protocol. Um, for this one, we're just really focusing on you know what the diet lifestyle can do. Um, we didn't want to introduce too many variables to the research, even though you know it is a comprehensive lifestyle intervention. But we wanted to yeah. show that you know the diet and lifestyle could really make an impact and. And That's potentially funny. in the future, we could do a study where we kind of layer on some other aspects of integrative medicine and, and show what that can do for, for someone with a skin condition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's um, the majority of people, I think, you know, if, if, it, if it fits within their diet and their lifestyle to, to reverse their condition, they'd prefer that versus having to rely on a supplement or, 
or a pill or something. So it makes sense for you to see like foundationally how far you can go with, with pure diet, diet and lifestyle changes. Um, that's great. So the, um, before we leave this topic, um, we didn't get into it discussing or I haven't heard you mention anything topically for skin gut disorders. Um, what's your take on topicals? Um, and I'm not talking about like prednisone or, you know, like corticosteroids or you know, but just sort of topical support. Yeah. So topical support is really important because as I mentioned, you know, if we have a leaky skin barrier, we're going to be causing disruption in the gut as well. So it's always really important to address both sides. Um, for topical support, I generally suggest if you wouldn't eat it, don't put it on your skin. Um, you know, there's a lot of cosmetics out there, a lot of products marketed for eczema, psoriasis, acne that um, are really potentially doing more harm than good because they're just putting toxins into the body. Um, they're just, you know, they're overloading the liver. They're potentially interfacing with the gut. Um, you know, so if you, you know, I, I certainly, you know, if you're in a place where you have severe severe skin issues and, and you really need, you know, a corticosteroid in the short term to bring that down, then by all means, you know, I think it's important that we, we use that when, when it's necessary, but it, you know, if you can manage it with, with topicals like, um, like coconut oil based, um, products, um, I have some, some other topicals that are, uh, kind of more plant and, and oil based that I, I like to use. Um, but essentially, you know, anything that you put on your skin, you should assume that it's interfacing. It's, it's probably getting it. If you have a leaky skin barrier, it's probably getting into your circulation and it's potentially interfacing with your gut as well. So, um, really important to, um, to use more hypoallergenic products, um, that are, are ideally not chemical based. Um, yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I'm thinking about the topicals that you know I sometimes use with people who have skin disorders. Like one of them, for example, is like calendula. Mm -hmm. You know, calendula has a lot of properties that you would also use for gut gut imbalances. So it has you know demulcent properties. Um, it's lightly antimicrobial, and you know it's it has it has one of these like entourage effects that you know you would think about with herbs, or it has anti-inflammatory properties. Right. So that makes a lot of sense and it's a good way to think about it. And, you know, it's, it's also interesting, like with fungal issues, a lot of people are using like coconut, coconut oil topically mm -hmm. and lauric acid we know, which comes from coconut is a strongly antifungal. Um, and coconut's used in a lot of bases for skin, for skin products. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's an interesting way to look at it. I, I've actually never looked at it that way. And that's really eye-opening for me. <laughs> um, but it's, it's nice to know that um, it's, it's been happening and you know, we're um, in, in some ways um, without even knowing that's a core concept. Um, so you know, the, one of the things I'd love to hear from you as someone who's had eczema, sounds like really severe eczema, um, what, what's the... And what's the impact emotionally, you know, and what can you share with someone who's out there who's suffering from a skin condition? I've, you know, I, I've had patients over the years where it's such a journey and it's almost like 
hard to, it's hard for them to express what it's like to people who don't have skin problems. I'd love to hear what, you know, what you could share. Right. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's a really important topic and, and one that definitely affects everyone a little bit differently. Um, I was fortunate when I was younger that it was primarily like on the inner, inner sides of my elbows, backs of my knees. So it wasn't that noticeable and it wasn't something that, that other kids usually noticed or, or picked on me about or anything like that. Um, but towards, oh, towards uh, high school, it started to get around my mouth and I would have to put on, I put on, you know, I didn't know any better. I put on Vaseline, you know, mm-hmm. probably yeah. 30 times a day. Uh, and then in college, it started to get all over my hands, especially, and um, over my eyes and, and around my mouth as well, quite, quite badly and, and noticeably. And it was, it was certainly around then, um, you know, I'd been kind of fortunate up until that point. It's my eczema had always been a bother, but it wasn't really something that ever, ever really got to me. But, you know, once it was on my face and definitely, you know, affected my outward appearance and, and, uh, you know, at that time it really did affect what I thought of myself and, um, was really hard to, to get through that part. And that is when I really started to say, you know, I, you know, I've got to look at other options. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually my older sister, you know, knew it was really starting to get to me and, and suggested that I look into diet more cause she kind of jumped on the, the paleo bandwagon mm-hmm. a couple months before that and was mm-hmm. getting really interested in diet and health. And mm-hmm. she suggested to me that I, um, that I start trying to, um, to make changes. And that was what really motivated me was that I was starting to experience a lot of, you know negative feelings about myself because of the eczema and and I felt like it affected how other people saw me and that was definitely really hard and um was really important to you know to realize that there were a lot of other parts of me that people you know that people liked and I didn't have to worry about about that so it was definitely a very uh difficult time um, and I, it helps, definitely helps me relate to other people as they're, as they're going through that and experiencing that. Yeah. And, you know, I think also, um, you know, people get to a point where, you know, they, they do go to the extremes of treatment, you know, because there is a lot of desperation and I think it's good to, that you're out there saying, you know, well, maybe this is something you could try before you go to higher force therapy or you know, what have you. Um, yeah. Or a conjunction, you know, I mean, there might be some, some better outcomes. Yeah. And I'd also, um, I'd also say that part, I mean, part of it is really like, it, it really does kind of force a journey towards self-acceptance. And I think that's, that's a really important part of the healing process. And actually, not one that I totally even found until after I had cleared my eczema. So I would say that I even, I was quite hard on myself in terms of what my skin looked like for a long time. And it did motivate me to do these diet lifestyle changes and to get better. But it wasn't, I would say I wouldn't, I didn't really achieve full solid remission until I'd addressed some of the psychological mm 
baggage, for lack of a better word, that, that had come along with that entire journey and having to go through that. So, yeah. you know, I think, I think it's really important that, um, you know, that people with skin conditions do have some mental health support as well. Um, yeah. because it can definitely affect the healing process. Yeah, I really, it's really great to hear you say that, that the self-acceptance came first or the process of self-acceptance was, and you addressed, you tried to address that first, even before your skin, you know, maybe came along with more improvement because, you know, I guess people with health conditions throughout their life or changes in their appearance, you know, self-acceptance is such a, it's a key component of healthy aging and just health mm-hmm. that we experience in life. So that's, that's really remarkable that you did that. And I think it's a really healthy message. Um, so thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, so before we conclude here, um, maybe you could give us a few take home messages on this topic and the gut skin access or anything that you'd like to share just to kind of leave us with and then to hear you share more about what you're up and how people can follow your work or get involved with some of the projects you're involved with? Sure. Yeah. So first I would just say, I think it's, it's really important for everyone to know that there, there are other options out there for, for treating skin conditions. It's, it's not just what your dermatologist can offer. Um, You know, there is great potential for diet and lifestyle to make huge changes in, in skin conditions. And, and I encourage people to explore, um, you know, explore diet and lifestyle aspects more, um, really, really work on managing stress, uh, you know, getting that self-acceptance and that, that mental health piece uh, is really important. Getting social support uh, is really key. And, uh, you know, and if diet and lifestyle isn't enough, then look into addressing potential underlying gut pathologies. So find, find a, a functional practitioner who can, who can help you to identify whether you have fungal overgrowth or, or parasitic infection going on, um, because addressing those can really make a huge difference um, in your skin health. Um, yeah, I, I really appreciate the opportunity, Adam. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I just, I hope this was helpful to people. Um, it was helpful. And I'm sure, you know, I learned, I learned quite a bit um, from hearing you take us through from the science perspective and then the application perspective. So thank you. And um, yeah, and, and can you just share how people could keep in touch with you, follow you or get involved with some of your research? Yeah, so people can find me at ngmedicine.com nextgen ngmedicine.com uh i have a actually have a free 60 page ebook on the gut skin axis um on my website uh so you can check that out it's got pretty much all the research we talked about here kind of laid out in in more detail along with testing and treatment strategies supplements diet and lifestyle um interventions um that can help help with uh, skin conditions. So I'd encourage everyone to check that out. And then um, you can also support my work on Patreon. Um, Our research study is already ongoing. So we were really grateful to everyone who helped crowdfund our study um, for that. Um, We're hoping to set up a nonprofit so that people can contribute to future research. Um, But for now you can support my work on Patreon um, or find me on uh, social media at NextGenMedicine. Great, well, thank you for your time. And I look forward to following your work down the road. And um, sounds like you're 
really doing some great things for, for people. So thank you. Thanks so much, Dr. Rand. Thanks again for tuning in to today's episode with Dr. Milling on the Gut Skin Access. Hope that you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Please share this episode wildly with your friends and family and loved ones. Got this word out there. There needs to be more information on how to treat skin conditions. Right now, I see many people just being offered topical corticosteroids and and the latest in the dermatologic world is to attempt a series of biologics for skin conditions. From my view, it's very important to at least intervene on some level in the way that we spoke about today, whether it's an anti-inflammatory diet or elimination diet, but also looking and assessing at pathobiont drivers coming from the gut. And the basics still apply, of course, with good old fashioned topical care, skin, um, protecting the skin barrier. And there's a new category called topical probiotics that we need to pay attention to. We have so much more to think about than just sort of suppressing the inflammation. What is going on here that's caused the breach? What's going on here that's activated the immune system? There's areas to think about from the from above down, from the skin surface down, and obviously through talking with Dr. Mailing today and through the research that we've started to see come out in the literature, there's a lot going on from below, meaning the gut barrier region that could be driving this. So how do we bring this world of internal medicine to the world of dermatologic medicine and bring these two worlds together and uh, help manage these conditions a little better? Are wanting to feel better, wanting their skin to appear better, and oftentimes are betting on the outcomes for. So I think this is a really important topic and I hope that you learned something and I hope you can share it with your loved ones. I would say, you know, any type of functional medicine doctor that has been tuned into gut health can help you with your skin condition. Also looking through the autoimmune paleo community for people who um, are focusing on dermatologic issues. There's a lot of support on the autoimmune paleo diet. It's just one of many potential approaches um, and functional medicine, naturopathic medicine focused um, providers that have a special interest in skin, gut, and brain disorders could be helpful too. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time on the One Thing Podcast.